Today is New Year's Day in the life of the church. The season of Advent kicks off a new church year. So Happy New Year. Advent means coming, and it's the season where we prepare for the coming of God's promised Messiah, the Christ. Some events we plan, like a birthday party or a New Year's Eve party, and some we don't. And the event of Advent, this coming, is one that we did not plan, we do not plan, we cannot. We didn't choose it, and we can't control it. It's an event that has been visited upon us by God, without our input, without our permission, simply because God loves us. So the question for us during this season of waiting for the coming as Christ's disciples and as we journey together is why does Advent matter and how do we respond every day? Let us keep those, in question, those questions in mind this season as we journey together and let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts Be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Father Peter McIsaac is a Jesuit priest I had the joy of meeting this summer when I was on sabbatical. His most recent assignment for several years was serving at a small church, a parish in Kingston, Jamaica. The United Nations reports that Jamaica is the fourth most violent city in the country in the world, and Kingston, its capital and largest city, is one of the most dangerous. There are many reasons for these sad statistics, including Jamaica's history of colonization and slavery and oppression by foreign powers, which we hear often in history, its history of rivalries and politics. These are just to name a few. In Father Peter's neighborhood in Kingston, near the church he served and his home, which is right next door, violence and gunfire are a daily occurrence, mostly from gangs. This is an everyday reality that is heard, seen, and experienced. And in between his church and another building, there is a small strip of land which became a gathering place for members of a certain gang. After being out all night, they would gather in this small space in the early morning hours. Now, wherever Father Peter goes and serves and lives, his first work is always to come to know his community, to build relationships with his people, with the neighbors. So Father Peter knew the young men who gathered by his church in those early hours. He knew them by name, and they knew him, and they trusted him. Well, in response to the fear and the violence and the hatred in his community, Father Peter was inspired to plant some grass in that strip of land next to his church where those young men gathered. It was his action toward countering all the ill and the violence in his community. He took an action to bring in something new and alive and beautiful. One morning before dawn, Father Peter was out watering the grass. And as usual, the the young gang men were there. And they saw Father Peter. And one of them came over and said hello. And Father Peter could imagine 
what they had been up to all night, and if he had imagined the worst, he would have been right. As he continued to water the grass, they talked. And then Father Peter paused and looked at the young man and asked him, James, do you think it's important that I keep watering this grass? And James paused, and he looked down at the tender, new, green growth. And he said to Father Peter, Yes, Father, it is important that you keep watering that grass. Jesus said to his disciples, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender, and as soon as you see the green, new, newly sprouted leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, he said, when you see these things happening, this tenderness, this new life, you know that the Son of Man is near, indeed right at the door. Father Peter and James in that pre-dawn morning, standing next to the church, beheld together the tenderness of those green blades of grass. And there in the midst of their daily calamity, in one of the most violent cities in the world, they beheld, they recognized, and they affirmed the new life and the greatly needed sign of hope in that grass. The disciples that Jesus was teaching in our text today needed hope as well. They needed the hope of the lesson from the fig tree. And that parable of the fig tree follows Jesus' description of what is often referred to as the end times. Earlier in chapter 13 of Mark's Gospel, Jesus foretells the great suffering and persecution that those who are faithful to him will experience. He foretells the devastating destruction that the temple in Jerusalem will undergo by the Roman occupiers, which did happen in the year 70 CE. The temple was the center of Jewish religious life, political life, economic life, of life for them. And its destruction did bring into question for them God's providence, the faithfulness of God's presence, of God's steadfast love, both to them and to their faith ancestors. And it left them feeling completely disoriented and untethered from everything that they had staken their life upon. The Gospel according to Mark was likely written around the time of the temple's destruction. So Mark's audience is in a time of deep crisis. They've experienced this calamity. And so the passage today comes from a chunk of the gospel that addresses their crisis. It's often nicknamed the little apocalypse. In the beginning of Mark, we hear about Jesus' life and ministry. At the end, about his passion, his death and resurrection. But this is an interruption right in the middle because the people needed a word of hope and they needed it fast. This section, referred to as crisis literature, is laden with the traditions of myths and symbols written in response to this great difficulty that the people were undergoing. So it's important for us not to understand it literally, but to understand what the author is trying to describe. And also understand that the intent 
is to not call into question God's righteousness, but that God will prevail over their current crisis and suffering. So we see Jesus teaching his disciples about these, with these images about any calamity they will face on their journey of following him. The message is primarily of hope, that God was and is and will ever be the prevailer of all of our catastrophe. Well, like those persecuted and oppressed people of the first century under Roman rule, and Mark's audience of fairly new Christians, of Jesus' followers, these were tense political times. Like they experienced calamity, we too know our own calamities in our lives. We consider cities like Kingston, Jamaica, and neighborhoods in our own city of Cincinnati. We remember the nations, the Syrias, the Myanmar's, where people fear for their lives every day, where refugees are created every day. We hear recent troubling news of an active slave trade in Libya. We look at our own nation, which is divided, where expressions of hate often usurp any harmony. Our glaciers are melting and wildlife is being threatened. The number and level of storm disasters continues to rise. We consider those that are still trying to recover from disaster, like our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico. And the list of calamities can go on and on. Where is the lesson of the fig tree? Where is the tenderness and the new green life? Where is our hope? And how about you and me? In our humanity, we will experience calamities in our personal life. We hope the chemotherapy that is making us so ill will eventually overcome cancer. Or we need an organ transplant, and we wait with hope. We have lost a child And though the gift of another pregnancy is a joy, it comes with great fear as well. We're deeply wounded by fractured relationships with the ones we love the most, our spouse, a sibling, our best friend, and repair seems impossible. We're gainfully employed one day and the next we learn our job has been terminated. We wrestle with addiction in our own lives and watch those we love do the same. For our present calamity, where is the hope in the lesson of the fig tree, the tenderness and the new life emerging? Jesus commands his disciples, keep awake, watch, keep alert. He calls them to live in hope especially in the face of their present catastrophe. And the hope is riddled throughout our passage today. In verse 24, it says, After that suffering, our suffering has an end point. Verse 25, The sun, the moon, the stars will be darkened, and then you will see the Son of Man coming in power and glory. So in our darkest times, The light of God shines in that darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. In verse 27, then all God's creation will be gathered together from the ends of the earth 
to the ends of heaven. No one, no thing is left out of God's community. All relationships are reconciled. There is kinship among all people. Keep awake and watch so that you do not miss the hope found in the tenderness like that of the fig branch in spring. Then you know that I am near. Watch for the hope in the tenderness of your relationships like that shared between Father Peter and the gang member James and his companions. For when you see that, you know that God's love is near and healing. Keep alert for the hope and the tenderness of your own life. The stranger's words of kindness you heard. A relationship restored. A miraculous cure. The comforting presence and understanding of another during your deep grief. Wherever we see tenderness or feel it or see it or experience it, there is the hope of the Savior Jesus Christ. There is a sign that God's love is healing the world and that God has arrived right at the door. Watch for all of this, Jesus says. Advent comes over and over. Christ came in the birth of Jesus. Christ dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. Christ will come again, bringing in God's realm once and for all. What do we hope that we are found doing or not doing when Christ comes again? At the end of the passage, the parable about the master who goes on a long journey and leaves his servants with their work to do and the doorkeeper to watch. This has a message for us on how we are to wait and watch during Advent and every day of our lives. Not passively, but we too are given our work to do as God's children and as Christ's disciples. We are to be the hands and feet of Christ in all we say and do with our time, our talents, our treasure. We are to imitate Christ. We are to serve one another with love and build up relationships and form kinships. We are to be for others a sign that God is laboring for us to bring new life through tenderness, to bring healing into all the world through each one of us as we form a community of brothers and sisters. Another Jesuit priest named Father Greg Boyle who's quite well known for his intervention programs in Los Angeles with former gang members. He leads Homeboy Industries, which employs former gang members in a variety of businesses. Father Greg says of this work that it's not a work about helping, but about finding kinship, about creating relationships. He says the point of Christian service is about our common calling to delight in one another, no matter who that other is. He tells a story about one Christmas day when he asked one of the former gang members, this young man, how he spent his Christmas day. Now this young man had been orphaned and abandoned and abused by his parents. 
He was quite alone in the world for much of his life. But he told Father Greg, I spent it right here. And Father Greg said, alone? He said, no, I invited six other guys from the graffiti crew who also had no place to go. He named those six others. They were enemies of one another. Father Greg said, well, what'd you do? And the young man said, you're not going to believe this, but I cooked a turkey. Wow. Father Greg said, well, did you eat anything else? He said, no, just turkey. And he went on to share that the seven of them sat in the kitchen together, watching the oven, waiting for the turkey to be done. And he told Father Greg it was really a delicious turkey. So Father Greg points out what could be more sacred than seven orphans, enemies, rivals, sitting in a kitchen waiting for a turkey to be done. And he points out that Jesus doesn't lose sleep, that we might forget what this table is all about, this feast that God prepares for us, this meal. He's not afraid that we'll forget that it is sacred. Jesus doesn't lose sleep if we fail to understand its mystery. But Jesus is anxious that we might forget that it's ordinary that it's a meal meant to be shared with others. And it still is today. Today, again, we will come to this table of God. We will come as brothers and sisters, as kin, as part of God's great big human family. Advent, coming. We wait and watch for an event, the coming of Christ, the promised Savior of the world. And this season is preparing us for this. But of course, Christ is already here. But God in Christ wants to come to us even closer. So when Christ arrives at our door, may we be points of entry by keeping awake and opening that door when Christ knocks. And when we do, we open that door to the hope and tenderness that we can experience every day when we watch and keep awake. Thanks be to God. Amen.